Andor, the latest live-action Star Wars series, has wrapped up, and I've got my thoughts on the entire first season right now. Hello everybody, I'm Dan Merle here with my thoughts on Andor, the spin-off series from Rogue One, a Star Wars story about Cassian Andor. It wrapped up its first season last week and I've been putting my thoughts together. I didn't review the show week by week because it was episodic and yet not. And I really wanted to see the scope of the entire story before I weighed in on it. And for me, Andor is easily the best live action Star Wars series that we have seen from Disney Plus since this new era began. I often question the need for this show, but it just proves that execution is more important than concept. I loved parts of Obi-Wan Kenobi, for example, but I thought it was a deeply flawed show, and that was even more the case with The Book of Boba Fett, and both of those concepts you would consider slam dunks before their release. The lack of buzz around Andor, and maybe even the lack of viewership thus far, I suspect was largely because it was centered around a character that was a secondary character from a spin-off movie that had already been killed off. I openly questioned what possible interest we could have in this show they're just milking star wars for more and more and more well shame on me for prejudging because while i love the mandalorian as a show i think both in front of and behind the camera Andor proves the potential of a Star Wars live-action series. First and foremost, this series was superbly produced, and I am so glad they did not shoot this thing in the volume. It was starting to give the entire franchise this kind of fake and samey look. The mostly practical sets and locales added a realism that was needed for this show. The music from Nicholas Bertel was also incredible, largely because it was like no other Star Wars score that we'd ever heard before. And that was a choice the show largely made across the board. It did away with so many of the hallmarks and trademarks of the franchise that Star Wars has been featuring, and let's be honest, using as a crutch for a very long time now. Before we get into a deeper dive on various aspects of the show, I did want to give a quick shout out to just some of the cast members who I thought were standouts, although I thought the show was uniformly well acted. Of course, we have Diego Luna as Cassian Andor, who defied naysayers like me and introduced a new side to his character. Kyle Soler as Cyril Karn, such an uncomfortable portrait of obsession, one of the most pathetic characters in recent memory, and I've got a lot more to say about him. I also have a lot to say about Stellan Skarsgård as Luthen Rael, giving one of his best performances as a character who is burdened as Loki from a different franchise might say with glorious purpose. Fiona Shaw as Marva Andor, Cassian's adopted mother, an unexpectedly crucial figure in the rebellion. Denise Goff as Dedra Miro, a dedicated security officer fighting both the system and the political infighting inside the imperial bureaucracy. And she brought such a coldness and ambition and also in some ways a quiet desperation to her character. Genevieve O'Reilly as Mon Mothma returning to the role, finally allowed to do something besides give a briefing. And then we have Andy Serkis as Kino Loy, a supporting character who goes through his own journey. Always great to see Andy Serkis in a live action role. And I've got a lot more to say about his role and that whole part of the show in just a few minutes. So let's dive down into Andor. And from the very first scene, this felt different from anything we'd seen in Star Wars before. We reintroduced Cassian, who's looking for his sister in this dirty side of the galaxy. We saw hints of it in cantinas around the Star Wars universe and in places like Jabba's Palace. But that's what's great about this show, is Andor peeled back the facade of Star Wars, the, the outer shell that we've seen so many times before, and showed us the real world 
underneath everything that we've been watching for so many decades now. Andor grounded everything that we already know from the specific inner workings of the Empire to the complex decisions that were made to start the rebellion. And maybe that grounded nature has generated a lot of the feedback that I've seen online, which has said that the show is slow or boring. And I will grant you that the show is not action-packed, at least not from the traditional sense. But for me, every single episode held my interest because of the character work, because of the new side of the world that we're being shown, really almost introducing a whole new world to us. And also, by the way, the action sequences that were in this show were really well done. It may just be a matter of taste because this show was almost entirely bereft of everything that has been a trademark of Star Wars. No Jedi, no Sith, no lightsabers, no mention of the Force. Space, for the most part, wasn't in the show. Established characters, for the most part, were not part of the show. I'm perfectly fine with that because we've been drowning in all of that stuff for years now. We have so much of it. And what this show really showed me was how hungry I was as a Star Wars fan for something that was a lot more wholly original. It was kind of like being served takeout for week after week, year after year, and then you get served a finely cooked meal and you realize, oh yeah, well, you know, that takeout was pretty good, but this is great. That's how I felt about Andor. It was so refreshing, and I was so much more into it, just on an intellectual level, on a personal level, on an emotional level, than any other series that I've seen on Disney+, Plus, even the ones that I like. The story was the strongest part of the show for me, and if you watch my reviews, you know that I'm a very big stickler for story, but the thing that was important was that you could track each event in this series from episode to episode, and it made sense. You understand why this is happening. It's because that happened, because that happened, because that's tied into this person. You can bring all the characters together at the end of the season and it doesn't feel contrived and again I think it exposes a little bit the other Star Wars shows because you understand that you can make a sensible space fantasy story if you just invest that time into the writing each episode was crucial to the overall story and when you look at the other Star Wars shows you definitely couldn't say that about Obi-Wan Kenobi because there was a whole storyline that you could basically skip two episodes cut it out and the overall story wouldn't change a bit the book of Boba Fett was three different shows Shows. I don't even know where to start with the story structure on that one. And even The Mandalorian, there are moments, there are scenes, there are episodes that I like, but a season-long story has never tracked as well for me in that show as it did in this one. Andor told a character-forward story with events that unfolded over multiple episodes. The serialization or the episode breaks were sometimes abrupt, but it never seemed random. As an example of how well this story works, let's take it from the inciting incident. Cassian is forced to kill two corpos on Morlana 1. From there, Karn hunts down Cassian and botches the corpo operation to catch him on Ferrix, which brings the Empire to Ferrix and puts Cassian on the run. From there, we have parallel stories where resentment against the Empire grows on Ferrix. Cassian helps lead a heist and an uprising in prison. Luthen doubles down on starting the rebellion, and the Empire searches for Cassian, which all culminates in a great series finale where where our characters' stories intersect. And it's all rooted in the very first episode as a good season of serialized TV should be. There were a couple of weak points in the story. The flashbacks to young Cassian didn't tie in quite as much as I would have liked thematically to the rest of the show. And I hope that we continue to explore that in season two. And then the character of Bix. My emotional connection to her wasn't as strong as it was to a lot of the other characters. But again, this is something that going forward into season two, they can correct and maybe flesh out her character a bit more. But to the point that the show was boring, I disagree wholeheartedly. Of course, it wasn't packed wall-to-wall -wall with lightsaber duels and space battles, but each episode was packed with conflict and some great action set pieces. 
The early episodes are about the Corpos tracking down Cassian, and that battle with Cassian and Luthen in the warehouse on Ferex sets the tone for the show. We're not going for scale here. It's about establishing the forms of resistance that our characters are facing. Then we have the build-up to and the extended heist sequence on Aldani, which is set against the eye, a realistic distraction for the Imperials, and a good reason for why there would be a nearly empty base. And the heist is also so well-constructed, because you know what's supposed to happen ahead of time, so there's suspense in knowing what's going wrong, what's taking too long, which guards are coming that shouldn't be there, and how much our characters are in danger, even if they don't know it yet. And then we have the escape from that heist through the falling crystals, a beautiful way to dress up a required beat of any heist, which is the close call escape. Then we get to Cassian's arrest and imprisonment on Narkeena 5. I love that Cassian was arrested, not for the heist. The Empire didn't catch him for the robbery. He was arrested for something he didn't do. And we get a look at the draconian system that the Empire has in place. This used to be a six month sentence. Six years. Six years? No, no, wait! Change of guidelines. I didn't do anything! It's all about cruelty and arrogance. If the Empire had run a prison that used the prisoners to build the things that they needed, but let them out when their sentences were up, then maybe things wouldn't have happened the way that they did in the show. As a matter of fact, they almost certainly wouldn't have. But they don't, and their own wanton cruelty leads to the escape that's led by Cassian and Andy Serkis as Kino Loy. And I loved the character of Kino Loy because it shows us another type of person who's living under empirical rule. Kino Loy obviously doesn't like the situation that he's in, but his attitude is, listen, I'm going to keep my head down, I'm going to do what the Empire tells me, and once I've served my time, I'm going to go back out there and live my life. Let's keep our mouths shut, keep our heads down, until we know what's going on because the Empire chooses not to play fair, he turns from somebody who would have been a model prisoner to somebody who becomes disillusioned with that system and ultimately rebels against it. The rebellion was as much about the Empire as it was about the rebels. And that's a great part of this show, the fact that it is able to show that from multiple different perspectives. The prison break sequence was really well staged, and I like that they made Kino Loy the focus of that, that Cassian wasn't really leading that rebellion, that Kino Loy was the person who made the rallying cry. You get them moving and you keep them moving until we put this place behind us. A lesser version of the show would have had Cassian rally the prisoners on Narkeena 5, would have had Cassian leading that battle in the finale on Ferex. No, it's not just about Cassian, and in many ways it's the people around Cassian that are pushing him even more toward the rebellion. We know where Cassian is headed. We know what his beliefs are going to be. And to make this show in large part about people like Kino Loy and about people like Marva, who led these small-scale events that led to the full rebellion, people that would probably never be listed in history books made this show 10 times more interesting than if Cassian went around doing everything. And I think that this prison experience was informative to Cassian's character as we meet him in Rogue One. Maybe the reason why he pushes back against Jyn Erso's strategy of keeping your head down and just letting the Empire do what they do is that he's lived it. He's understood what happens to the people who have that mindset. They're killed anyway. There's no escaping the brutality of the Empire. And the fact that Cassian was building tiny parts for the Death Star, and not just the Death Star, but the firing mechanism, is a really cruel irony. He contributed to the manufacturing of the very thing that he would give his life to destroy. And based on what we saw in the finale, the beam that destroyed Scarif and killed him may well have passed through a part that he himself put together on Narkeena 5. That's a way to do retconning. That's a way to add something to continuity later that makes sense and actually has something meaningful, something purposeful. It's not empty. 
Of course, prior to Cassian's imprisonment on Narkeena 5, we have that heist on Aldani, and the characters involved in that heist also have what I think are profound impacts on Cassian's future mindset. First, we have the character of Skeen, who professes his hatred for the Empire because of what happened to his quote-unquote brother, but pretty much turns out just to be a grifter who's ready to betray everybody at the first sign of trouble. It's an our rebellion for you. Oh, I'm a rebel. It's just, uh... Me against everybody else. This experience, I think, gives Cassian a distrust or a skepticism of even the truest professed believers in the Rebellion, which may be why he was such a go-it-alone figure at the beginning of Rogue One. He didn't trust anybody. Trust goes both ways. But you also have Karis Nimic in his manifesto. His sacrifice shows Cassian the heart of the Rebellion, which is also an important step. Cassian has to know what he's truly fighting for in order to change. Cassian tries to walk away from the Rebellion after the heist is over, but those words literally follow him and go on to inspire him. And that's what I like about the show, is it's not a sudden change for his character. It's not a sudden turn. It's the accumulated experiences that he has over this first season. That's called good storytelling. So let's talk about Luthen, who I think is one of the most interesting characters in the Star Wars mythology. Stellan Skarsgård's duality in this role is fascinating. And at first we think that duality is just his public face as the owner of this antiquity store, and then his private activities as he zooms around the galaxy, kind of fomenting all of these different uprisings. But that duality is actually Luthen's own soul. On one hand, he's doing something objectively good and helping to start the rebellion that's going to take down the Empire. But on the other hand, he's doing unforgivable things, leading people into death and destruction because he knows that that escalation is the only thing that's going to get the Empire to respond, which is the only thing that's going to grow the rebellion. 30 men. Plus Krieg. For the greater good. Call it what you will. It's calling war. It actually makes a lot of sense that it seems like Luthen is on the track to be a mentor character for Cassian because those were the same things that tortured him. Everything I did, I did for the rebellion. And every time I walked away from something I wanted to forget, I told myself it was for a cause that I believed in. And if Cassian's learning how to be a rebel from Luthen, then it makes sense that Luthen is a rebel in the same way that we see Cassian in Rogue One. And all of this is summarized in that incredible monologue that Stellan Skarsgård got to give about three-fourths of the way through the series that was one of the show's best moments, hands down. I'm condemned to use the tools of my enemy to defeat them. I burn my decency for someone else's future. I burn my life. I was actually going back and reviewing some of the series in preparation for this review, and there was a moment that on rewatch plays a lot different in episode four, when Luthen is giving Cassian this big speech in order to get him to join the heist and become part of the rebellion. Wouldn't you rather give it all at once to something real than carve off useless pieces till there's nothing left? The first time you watch it, it looks like this big rallying cry that Luthen is trying to wake up this spark inside of this guy that he sees potential in. But I think on rewatch, it just goes to show you how corrupt Luthen is because he will say or do anything to recruit new cannon fodder. Luthen was ready to kill Cassian for knowing who he was. He wasn't really devoted to keeping this guy in the rebellion. He just thought he would be able to help him achieve that specific purpose. And it just goes to show you the rot that is at the center of his soul in spite of his noble intentions. We can't have him walking around with Luthen in his head. You mean kill him? This is what revolution looks like. 
Something else I loved about this series was a look at the Imperial day-to-day -day and the fact that they did not show the Empire as this efficient machine. The Empire was always portrayed as this mighty foe with a death weapon and an Emperor and a Sith Lord. Here we see it for what it really was, a poorly structured, slovenly bureaucracy that was far too big to even entertain the concept of the little people causing its own downfall. The Empire isn't Rome. The Empire is the USSR. They are a paper tiger that will crumple if you can just overcome the sheer size of it. We see all of the different vulnerabilities that again led to its downfall. If you make the Empire look too invulnerable, then it doesn't make any sense that they were able to be taken down by the scrappy group of rebels. They have to be flawed. Mira is the rare Imperial officer with real ambition for the success of the Empire, not just herself. She is the cold, invulnerable presence that the Empire wants the galaxy to think it is, but there are far too few Miras and far too many Karns and Tarkins and Krennics, people who think a lot less about serving the Empire and who think a lot more about pleasing the Emperor. And let's talk about Karn, who is the embodiment of the idea of exceptionalism and reckoning with the fact that maybe you're not as great as you think you are. Karn's arc in this season reminded me a lot of something that I've seen in reference to social media, which is something called the Dunning-Kruger effect, which is basically that your own lack of skill or competence means that you don't understand just how incompetent you are. And thus you basically live in this delusion where you are constantly being overlooked or underestimated because you are the best at what you do, when in reality, you're really not. I love that they didn't give Karn this arc where he is this scrappy young analyst who's drummed out of the corpos, but he comes back and he's a hotshot Imperial officer. And I really hope they don't A, give him that arc and B, give him some kind of a love story with Miro because that dude is a stalker. I'm sorry. I don't ship them. I don't think anyone should ship them. I don't think you should like Karn. I don't think you should be rooting for Karn. Karn was a middle manager on a nowhere planet who thought he was smarter than the Empire. He took a big shot and he failed. And he was a failure at just about everything he did this season. He couldn't rally his own corpos before that raid on Ferrix. There's no room for doubt on the path to success and uh, justice. I think that his roughhousing of Marva may have been one of the things that spurred her to actually be a big supporter of the rebellion. Don't let them scare you, B. They can't do that. They're in Shut up! So in many ways, Karn actually may have been one of the instigating elements of the rebellion. He's a washout who was forced home and had to take a dead-end job that he was actually probably pretty good at because Karn is not completely incompetent. He's just not the great Imperial security officer that he thinks he is. I don't know what everybody else's take on Karn is, but I am not rooting for him in any way, shape, or form. Somebody who I am rooting for, and it's a good reason because she is one of the future leaders of the Rebellion, is Mon Mothma. Again, it would have been easy to write her as the confident leader with all the answers, but in this era of the Rebellion, Mon Mothma is scared. She wonders if she's doing the right thing. She's trapped in what seems to be a loveless marriage with a daughter who doesn't like her very much, and it seems like she's about to sell that daughter out for her own arranged marriage in order to fund the Rebellion. Mon Mothma here is really on the edge of a cliff. She has given everything and put herself at huge risk for a rebellion that she is losing faith in and isn't really sure is going to succeed. Of course, we know that all that sacrifice will be worth it, but she doesn't know that. And that's what makes her character interesting. I do love though that she's still savvy, both politically and in the real world. That scene in the finale where she accuses her husband of gambling, knowing that her chauffeur is an Imperial spy and will be listening into their conversation in order to hide the money that she's funneling into the rebellion is a really great move and shows that she is becoming more duplicitous in the way that Luthen is. Why would I get the money? 
That's the question that scares me the most. That contrast between their two characters is great. They're both strong early supporters of the rebellion, but Luthen is ready to burn the world down in order to get the rebellion going. Mon Mothma is funding that rebellion, but is still clinging to this hope that a diplomatic solution can somehow be found. In the end, both of them are wrong, and again serves us a rebellion in the early stages that is not the exact same thing that we'll see in later movies. As cold-hearted as Luthen is, He's also right that to escalate the rebellion into an all-out war, the Empire has to be antagonized and sacrifices have to be made. And that final escalation on Ferex is so great. We had seen small glimpses of the rebellious attitude among citizens on Ferex before when they were ringing the alarm to alert everybody that the Corpos were coming. What is all this? Intimidation, sir. Bluff and bluster. But here we saw citizens standing defiantly against their system of repression for the first time en masse. I never knew that Star Wars was missing marching bands from their action scenes, but they most definitely were. And now for the first time, the Cantina Band is in a death battle for the best band in Star Wars title. And we also have the staging of that final rebellious act on Ferex. We have Marva with that projection. Her saying fight the Empire is one of my favorite Star Wars moments ever. Fight the Empire! And then just that entire sequence, the chaos on the ground, again showing that the Empire is not lethally effective, at least not yet, because they don't believe that they have to be. That entire last act goes down as one of my favorite pieces of Star Wars filmmaking, TV making, whatever you want to call it, storytelling, I guess, ever. And let's talk about Marva, who could have easily been the mom character. You could have made her one-dimensional. She's a plot device whose death gets Cassian back onto Ferrix so he can be in the Empire's crosshairs. Instead, she's an unsung hero of the Rebellion, and she is that final example that Cassian needs to see of somebody who's willing to give everything to the fight. This is madness. No, it's not. It's overdue and probably doomed and I'm too old and I don't care anymore. That funeral speech and the effect it has on the people of Ferex establishes the spirit of the rebellion better than almost anything we've seen before. Because the rebellion wasn't just Princess Leia and Luke Skywalker in an X-Wing. It was millions of people on countless planets across the galaxy performing acts of insurrection big and small year after year until the Empire finally fell. We've seen the big acts. We've seen the Death Star. We've seen the fight against the Emperor. These were the street-level acts that helped to win the fight. And as ridiculous as it may sound, I think that Marva's funeral is as consequential to the rebellion as the Luke Skywalker Death Star trench run, just on a different scale. So let's talk for a little while about Cassian Andor. After all, the series is named after him. And I like that he is brought in basically because Luthen needs to use his knowledge. Cassian has that on-the-ground knowledge of the Empire, not just theoretical sitting on Coruscant. He knows that they're self-satisfied. They are not the unbeatable overlord that everyone thinks they are. To steal from the Empire? They're so proud of themselves. They don't even care. They're so fat and satisfied. They can't imagine it. But Cassian doesn't start as a true believer. He doesn't like the Empire, but he's not a zealot. He's practical. He sees an opportunity to bankroll his escape, to go and grab Marva, and hide out on a planet somewhere, and let everything pass over. It's happening everywhere. Well, we'll find a place they haven't ruined yet. I'm already there. That place is in my head. 
I think it's Cassian's prison experience that really radically changes him for good. It's an up-close look at the cruelty of the Empire, but it's also a plot point where he's crucial to the advancement of the story. And it's that mindset following imprisonment that allows him to understand on Ferex just how far people are ready to push the Empire. He can see what they've done to his home and his friends, what the effects have been on his mother, and it finally pushes him to officially join Luthen. Kill me. take me in. I think they really use Cassian's character exceptionally well in this series. He wasn't just an earlier version of the one we know from Rogue One with the same system and set of beliefs. He is a different person. We see that advancement in his character. And through him, we also meet people who represent a cross-section of beliefs, people of different classes, different situations, and we see how they have all been pushed to their own breaking point. And despite all these different characters on all of these different planets and a bunch of different storylines that don't necessarily tie directly to Cassian, we still don't lose track of him and his growth throughout the season. It really is a great piece of writing and I think makes Andor not just the best live action Star Wars show that we've seen so far, but I think one of the best TV shows, one of the best stories this year. Now, things can always go wrong in season two of a TV show. You can cite countless examples to underline that fact, but I'm hoping that because a large part of the creative team is staying intact, that we are going to get something really special with the second and final season of Andor, that they'll be able to tie it into Rogue One while still telling their own new story like they've done already in this first season, and that they'll be able to successfully bring to a close one of the most unexpectedly solid chapters in the history of the Star Wars saga. So what do I sacrifice? everything. So those are my thoughts on Andor. In case you didn't notice, I was a big fan. What did you think? Was it a show that just didn't hold your interest? Or are you on board with me? Do you think it's some of the best Star Wars that we've ever gotten? Let me know down in the comments below. And as always, thank you so much for watching me here on the channel. I'll be back very soon with more box office news, reviews, and more. Until then, stay safe, and I'll see you next time. Bye. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. At Stenge Law Firm, we represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stenge Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stenge Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stenge, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri.